Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Kara Golden. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. She's also the author of Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. She's an active speaker and writer and hosts the podcast, The Kara Golden Show. So welcome to the podcast, Kara. Delighted to have you here. Really excited to be here. So something I read in your book, uh, Undaunted, was music to my ears. You said, I have come to believe that it's imperative and entirely feasible to build a successful, profitable, sustainable company that's also committed to social good. And I know that sharing information as well has become part of your mission. So please talk a little bit about how you came to this realization. I know there's there's a long, complex story behind it that you talk about in the book, but um, I'd, I'd love to hear how you came to that conclusion because you, you started with um, wanting to do something healthful and that has kind of expanded from there. Yeah. I mean, I, it, you know, I think it really just goes to, I, I, I really am, call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't plan on starting a beverage company or even being an entrepreneur. I, I really did it for my health. And when I saw that by just giving up diet soda and drinking water, I, um, you know, really improved lots of things about my health that I was trying to change, including my energy levels, my, um, my skin, Um, I had developed terrible adult acne, which I got rid of when I gave up my diet soda addiction. And, Mm. um, and then also, um, I had gained a bunch of weight after having, uh, I have four kids now, but after my third child, I woke up and I realized like, who is this person? I had just like, I've always been a pretty small frame person, but I just consistently um, gained weight and wasn't able to lose it. And again, when I gave up the diet soda and started drinking water, um, things changed significantly. I lost over 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. My skin cleared up my energy level. So I thought, you know, just by making this tiny little switch, that, you know, I was able to do it. And if I actually launched a product and got it on the shelf at Whole Foods or wherever, um, maybe other people would gain health as well. And so uh, people would say to me, oh, that's so cool that you launched a company. I mean, again, it was like me and me and not a van, but a Grand Cherokee driving around, like trying to get the cases on the shelf. And I love that story about how you, you dropped off your uh, a shipment to Whole Foods on your way to the hospital yes. to give birth to your fourth child by cesarean. Exactly. <laughs> it was just, it was, great. it was crazy. But, but what I, but so again, that was, that was a, you know, mission. It was a, it was a purpose. It wasn't sort of thinking about it as like, I wrote a business plan for it, but I wasn't doing it so I could, you know, build it and flip it as fast as possible. And, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, 
this this was something that I really wanted to do to help others improve their health. And so what I've found over the years is that it's really important um, and something I share with entrepreneurs along the way, especially if you're a mission-based company, it's like you need to really understand your mission. And even if no one else around you, including your investors or um, you know, sometimes your customers, sometimes, you know, your employees, like you have to put stakes in the ground for them to sort of share, you know, go back to the mission. And what I found is even when there's kind of questions about, should we do something? Should we not do something? We really do a sniff test around what is the mission and why did we, you know, start in the first place. And, and I think that, you know, again, if, if, um, one of the stories I share in, in, my new book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, is really around um, the, the, there's many times when we've been challenged, like, okay, could we go make more money just by making the shift? But again, I think mm-hmm. if you are really clear about what you're doing and what your product is, and you believe that it may take more time for the consumer to kind of catch up, but you, you are doing the right thing because you're hearing from a lot of consumers that they, you know, really are being helped by you and, and appreciate what you've built. Then I think it makes it a lot easier to sort of, um, you know, really do, do what you're, do what you're doing, but, um, but, and, and ultimately be a profitable company. Like I said, it may take you longer to do it. And, um, but I think that that is, that's really what I've seen through my own experience. Well, and you've had this interesting journey around the mission of the company, because I think people have this idea, especially if they haven't started off as a mission-based company, that this is some static thing that remains absolutely constant and never never shifts or wavers. And you actually had the experience of customers appreciating the project or the product feeling that is hint water, and then feeling like you were on to something bigger and then setting your own standards with that. And then later involving philanthropy and it's, it's, you've now added sunscreen and um, deodorant this year, I understand. So it's, it's expanded, not just in the product line, but also in the broader mission and your own personal mission too. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the things that I'm really passionate about um, is is water, obviously, um, since I'm running a beverage uh, water company. Um, but but what I've learned a ton about um, a, about our water supply in the U.S. and and it really started with mm-hmm. um, with Flint, Michigan, and and really understanding and somewhat shocked by. Um, by exactly what was happening there. And then again, we have eight plants throughout the U.S. And when we see, you know, different areas of the country and the water that we're using, um, we're always running it through reverse osmosis and pasteurization in order to remove everything because we don't use preservatives in our product. So when Mm -hmm. we add fruit, um, you just can't have anything in there. You can't have any minerals. You can't have any bacteria at all, or the product will grow mold. And so, um, and so, you know, with it, we always do an analysis of the water, um, you know, always like continuously. And what I've seen over the last 15 years is that the water supply, um, which again, runs into lots of people's homes as in drinking fountains and schools um, is getting worse, not better. And Mm -hmm. there's different things in our water 
beyond lead that are really, really scary. And so I started asking the question, like there's an, a, there's a, an ingredient, um, a chemical called PFAS, which is a, it's essentially um, the same, the same chemical that was used in Teflon pans. And I started mm. um, seeing, you know, this um, chemical show up in, in the water supply. And then it was in all of the water supplies. And the only way to actually get this out of the water supply is through reverse osmosis. You cannot get it out with a filtration system. So mm. I, you know, started really being, you know, diligent about looking into exactly, you know, what was going on. And again, kind of being a little disturbed about, yeah. about, you know, the <laughs> yeah. fact that people, I would run into friends and I would share this with them and nobody knew about it. And I thought, you know, I know about it because I'm in the industry, but then I, I ended up, uh, one of our Congress women from, from the Bay area, Congresswoman Jackie Spear, um, I was, uh, chatting with her about a whole different issue, um, around school lunch program. And then I was curious if she like knew who I should speak to about this in, in Congress who would actually, you know, know about our water supply. And, um, and, you know, it was fascinating because she had actually been working on a project around it, but I was educating her and her team about, you know, this, this piece of like, that crossed over into multiple states that really kind of gave her details that she didn't have and yeah. from, from a private sector. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, it, so we've been working together to hopefully take this before Congress and get certain chemicals, including PFAS considered by the EPA, a dangerous substance. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in which case it would be regulated at a, you know, at a, government us level federal level right. versus state level which is how water is currently regulated but and it makes it which makes it so variable i mean right it, it makes it so water. variable and there's just different regulations and again like you know we're most people send their kids off to school um and you know tell them like there's a drinking fountain you're running on in a pe program or you know you're grabbing something for with your lunch, just go get some water and here's a cup. Well, mm -hmm. you know, if they actually knew that they're, they're, you know, giving their children um, a, a known cancer causing chemical in their water, that is yes. according to the NIH and the CDC, at yeah. no level safe, like that, that's what we're dealing with. And so again, I, I just bring this up because people in Congress have said to me, wait, are you a lobbyist? Are you like, what, how did you know? How did you learn about this stuff? And I'm right. like, well, I run this beverage company and I've learned a lot, you know, but I actually feel that being in the private sector and bringing this information to Congress is, um, is actually much, it, they're listening. Right. And, yeah. and, and especially during a time when so many nonprofits are hurt, from, uh, you know, the pandemic and not being able to raise, um, mm -hmm. I think that 2021 is going to be a time when, you know, leaders need to, you know, show up and, and tell us what, you know, tell us what your ideas are to fix it. And that's exactly well, what I'm working on. 
Yeah, and it's a great example of how business can be influential in a very positive way on multiple levels, not just uh, within the business, but uh, government, sort of public safety, all those things. So yeah, it's a great example of that. Yeah. Well, uh, the uh, now iconic, I'm sure you've you've, uh, (laughs) told the story a number of times, your conversation with the Coca-Cola executive who called you sweetie and said no one wanted unsweetened drinks. That got me angry for a couple of reasons. One is the uh, the patronizing patriarchy of it all just, uh, yeah, was uh, frustrating, but also the kind of breezy assumption that what had been done before was all that could be done. So you kind of ignoring that speaks to your tenacity and vision, which overrode your self-doubt and the naysayers. Is that enough to succeed? I mean, I, I'm... I'm interested to hear your broader perspective on that for other entrepreneurs. I mean, people have asked me over the years, like, um, you know, obviously sort of the, the talking point is it's really difficult to raise money as a woman. And I'm not denying Hmm. that that's like not an issue, but people have said to me, has it been harder for you to raise money as a woman? And we, I've raised a lot of money and I've said, I've never been a man. And yeah. right, like I, I don't know. I know the stuff that I deal with, but I've also said to, you know, so many people, like, look, at the end of the day, if you know that you have this problem in front of you and that it's, you know, it definitely is there and it's going to be hard, you have a decision to make. Do you move forward or not? Right. And it's yeah. like, do you do you crush the wall that's in front of you or and figure out a way around it or however you want to visualize it? Or do you let it stop you? And I think sometimes and one of the things that that, you know, I've really thought about in, in that story with the um, soda executive in particular is that I wasn't used to people calling me sweetie. Right. And and like, as my dad said, he, when I told him that story, he said, uh, he said, now, were you sitting like across from him? Cause I I can just imagine you, you would have like probably just really let him have it. And I was like, no, I was on the phone. He was like, thank goodness you were on the phone with this person. Right. (laughs) And so, but I, but it did wake me up and I thought it was rude and obviously, you know, condescending and all that. Um, But I think I, but, it, in hindsight, 2020, I mean, I, I'm, I, I think that because it was so shocking, it woke me up to kind of listen a little bit more versus actually thinking, okay, this person is godlike. They're, you know, they've worked at, they're senior at Coke. They've like, you know, been, yeah, they, right. they know they're, they're the expert. They're the right. experts. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I, and, and I guess this is, kind of an hopefully an overarching message of this book as well, which is one I believe strongly is that, you know, sometimes bad things will happen and, you know, situations will happen and they can be really awful and bad, but you have a choice. You continue moving forward and like learn from those bad things and try and figure out like, you know, was it okay that he called me this? Absolutely not. But what Mm -hmm. it did make me realize was that his viewpoint of like the consumer was tremendously different than mine. And in the next 45 minutes, um, he was, he was never speaking about health, which is how I articulate 
my company every single day and why right. I ultimately started the company. And so then I really started, you know, thinking if somebody doesn't really believe in your mission, obviously didn't believe in me and, um, and was telling me 27 reasons why he, you know, didn't believe that this is who the consumer was yet. I was hearing from the consumer that this is, this product was helping them and they wanted right. an unsweetened flavored water, et cetera. Then, yeah. you know, you, you kind of consider the source, right? Like, yeah. and, and that's how yeah. I've, you know, and, and, and so I've always viewed like these things as part of your journey, right? Mm -hmm. I really think that that phone call was, I didn't go into that phone call thinking that that's how I would feel. I didn't expect him to say what he said, but I'm actually really yeah. thankful because that was the moment when I said, wait a minute, I have a choice. Do I, you know, go and do this? Or do I just say, you know, it's not going to get done because it was yeah. so clear to me that he wasn't, you know, interested in innovating and going and doing it and, you know, creating and that fixed, well, that fixed mindset on his part created an opportunity for you because they weren't going to compete effectively on that level with the belief system behind it. Totally. But so many people, when I've explained that story, when I've been, you know, speaking on stage or sharing it with friends, people are like, oh, I would have walked out of the room. And I thought, well, I wasn't in the room. I was on the phone. With them. <laughs> I could have hung up on it. Right. But then I also thought, I mean, I don't know, like, why don't I just let them go? And, and now I know who my competition is and I know how sure. they're thinking about things. I actually was like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, that I'm actually hearing it from the horse's mouth, right? Exactly right. how they think about things. And so again, it, it like just goes to, you know, it was unpleasant on, on a lot of levels, but, um, but you have it, you, you like create a choice for yourself. And when, and the other piece that I, really, um, you and I were talking about lessons earlier. I mean, I think that the other thing that that really prompts for me is this idea that, you know, if like, if, if nothing ever goes your way, if people are always like being condescending to you or, you know, saying sweetie to you or whatever it is, like, how about today wake up and sit here and say enough, right? Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm going to go try. I'm going to go and, and do these things. And again, I'm not saying forget about it. I'm actually saying gain strength from it and, yeah. you know, and your ability to kind of laugh at yourself a little bit. And, right. um, and people have, you know, called me resilient and, and some of these other words, maybe I am, but I think for me, it's, it's really about, you know, this is my life. And, and I think today people th say that I'm resilient and I'm strong and I'm this, but, but that doesn't mean that I haven't had, you know, failures. It doesn't mean that I haven't had doubts along the way. Sure. And, and I think that that's really important for people um, to realize, especially when you're, you know, a, a, an entrepreneur or a very successful person, we've all got them, whether or not yeah. people own those, you know, things are, that have come along, you know, and, or they're, you know, or in some cases they're so focused that they don't actually go out and try. And, mm -hmm. and that's what's and and, you know, I think it also oftentimes, maybe not always, but also leads to to, if you can't actually be in touch with sort of how you move forward and um, you know, and what your purpose ultimately is too, that, I think it probably leads to depression and mental health and, and, you know, and really yeah. kind of understanding what's important, which of course is like such a huge issue today. Yeah, for sure. Well, 
some of the challenges that you've had along the way, which you've re referred to, is that you've actually, I mean, you've kind of gone between not having enough money and at the same time, sales grew really quickly, even doubling in some years. And having to manage that kind of growth is its own sort of challenge. So can you talk a little bit about that part of growing a business where you you actually have growth, you have sales, but it's it's not an easy skate to uh, profit necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all especially trying to manage, um, you know, in a time of hopefully coming off of a pandemic, right? Like everyone's mm -hmm. like trying to figure out 2021, including us, you know, what right. happens and is there a vaccine? Are offices opening where you know they're going to be ordering hints and you know, and there, there's a, there's a lot of conversation um, that goes on, you know, around that. And I think that the key thing for, for everybody, including us today is really recognizing that you have a plan and, but you have to be able to, um, you know, move quickly to, to change. And, and I think that we've always been an organization, the, the advantage of being a, a company where, you know, you've started from scratch and you've been through ups and downs and, you know, and you've seen lots of different things, I think. And, and maybe this is also speaking to sort of founder led companies, because if, if there were just like, there was just you in the beginning, and then maybe a couple of people, <laughs> and you've seen like a lot of different before you've gotten to the stage that I think that that was actually really helpful during a time of a pandemic where, you know, we were making like really quick, decisions and including around cash flow because of the 2008 2009 financial crisis like i didn't want to run out of money i yeah. you know i wanted to make sure that we were seeing you know challenges in different parts of our organization around sales including offices closing and so we really um, moved quickly, not only to figure out like what could we control when there were things that we couldn't control, as well as um, raising money in the middle of a pandemic, which everybody said, you're not going to be able to do that over Zoom right. or whatever. And we did, we raised $25 million. And, but that was like, really, you know, sort of another kind of thing that I talk about a lot, which is, um, you know, really making sure that you're, um, that you're raising money, um, or I shouldn't say raising money, but that you're constantly um, having conversations even before you need it. I think that mm -hmm. that is like such a, you know, really, really important um, thing for all entrepreneurs to know that it's not about like, you know, getting down to the last $5 in the bank. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, because then I think anyone, you know, they've got you right on the yeah. other end. And so yeah. I think that that's, that's another thing that we've learned and, and sometimes learn the hard way. And, and, well, and you, it just makes us smarter and stronger. Yeah. Well, you talk about in the book uh, creating options and opportunities by having a, a network of potential partners and employees. So you don't put your company at unnecessary risk. And um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it really speaks to that. How do you, keep a steady effort going in order to not move into that high risk zone as much as you can avoid it. So I know you talk in the book about trustworthy partnerships too, and, and some of your early co-packer um, situations were, um, I, I was really impressed with the integrity that you showed in, 
really looking at an experience that you had and realizing this is not the partner for us. I don't know if you know what, what I'm referring to there, but yeah, just them not. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you look at that on an ongoing basis? Cause you were depending on them at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, we actually, there's multiple stories, but I, I think for us, it was, there were um, co-packers that we were dependent on. And then there were also, um, you know, financial arms that we were also dependent on. And I think that, you know, again, what we learned, which I think is also just something that is really core to our business today is, is I've, I've, I've learned to realize that the, the reason why things are so shocking to me when they don't go your way is that when you're so reliant, right? And so mm-hmm. I, so I talk about, you know, the need to kind of diversify and, and, you know, that's not talking about your, your, you know, personal financial portfolio, although there's probably a lot of people that would say that as well. Um, right. But I think that, you know, what I've learned is that if you actually have like one investor or one co-packer or whatever, that kind of is, is doesn't really do things that you want them to do. And, um, and then suddenly you're in panic, right? You're in defense mode. Yeah. And that's ultimately why it hurts so bad. Right. And, and so, um, you know, it's like having a bad boyfriend or girlfriend, right. Right. Like it's like, and you know, it's not, it, it's really, um, it, it's, I think that that's the thing that I've learned over time. And so, so, but again, looking back on those times and actually learning from those times, I think is, is, um, you know, probably the most valuable asset. I mean, part of a lot of people have said to me, did you always know you were going to write a book? And, you know, I, I said, no, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like to be a, an author and on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list, like all like it's amazing, right? Like on a lot of levels, it feels great. But this was a journal for like four years. And, huh. and um, yeah, and so it was um, and, and in many ways, it was like therapy for me that I would I would be out speaking and people would be in the audience and say, you know, by the way, I've, um, I love your story. Um, you obviously you're, re- you're resilient. You've never had any doubts. You've never had any failures. And I thought, gosh, like that's not true at all. And then I would bring up these stories. Um, and what I found was primarily from hearing feedback afterwards from the audience was that you really helped me. Like I was, you know, feeling like it was just me because being, you know, an entrepreneur and, even to some extent, just being human can really be lonely sometimes because you feel mm-hmm. like I'm the only one that this is happening to versus um, hearing that, you know, the CEO of a, of a pretty big company now that she's had all these things, you know, happen to her too. And yeah. so I think that that, that is um, that it's almost been kind of therapeutic for me to be able to, you know, really talk about many of these stories, including, you know, the co-packer and the investors and, and, um, and again, like, you know, today, everything's fine with it, with, mm. with those people. Um, but I think I'm also, um, don't ever want to be in that situation anymore. And, yeah. and, and <laughs> you know, it's kind of like getting in a fight with, with, uh, with your, I don't know, your spouse or your friend or whatever. And it doesn't mean that you'll most times, you, I mean, hopefully you don't have like a lot of people in your life that you'll never speak to again, but 
you know, there was a little bit of wrong on both sides kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. then you guys can talk about it. Right. And you can say, yeah. I agree to disagree. Right. Like, and that, that is also, I think a really healthy way to live life that it's not mm-hmm. always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be a straight line. It's sure. going to be one where, you know, something happened and it wasn't to your benefit, but you know, mm. I can also say, well, I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah. Well, I mean, through this evolution that you've gone through and working through those challenges, your leadership evolved as well. And um, I mean, I'd love to explore that a little bit with you. How, I mean, you've been in business for a long time. You were at AOL and other tech companies earlier in your career, and and you've had this company for quite a while. How have you seen things evolve for women in terms of leadership? How have yeah. you, how's your, your experience of that changed? You know, I feel like that, that the, that the thing that I can actually, that I have the most control over is to build a company that, um, that really mimics what I want and, and think that a workplace could be right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, you know, we have, we happen to have 65% women in the company now, um, which is, you know, people always say, do you purposely like recruit women? I'm like, no, like a lot of guys don't show up. Like it ends up when they hear that there's a female CEO. Yeah. They, they don't come, they, they don't want to interview. Like, and, and we have a lot of great guys in the company too. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's fascinating to me. And, and frankly, I'd rather, I'm really excited that they don't show up because I don't want to have like a HR issue e- either down, <laughs> down the road. Right. And yeah. so I think that, um, th- I think that hopefully I'm teaching, um, you know, the way that I believe the world should be also, you know, I frequently talk about. Um, my kids, I have four kids, I have two girls and two boys. And one of the stories in the book is around my son, who's now 18. But when he was 12, he heard Sheryl Sandberg talking on TV about, you know, women aren't CEOs and, you know, which is true. There's not very many. Um, But he said, gosh, that's so interesting, mom. You've always been like a CEO, like ever since he was Mm -hmm. a little kid. I mean, he's, yeah. So our house is different. That's what he knows. Our company's different. And so I know not only am I creating, you know, a different kind of company, but I'm also creating different humans in my house who are actually seeing, you know, that their mom's the CEO. Um, They go into, you know, their college classes now and their high school classes. And some I've heard from professors who have said like, oh, they bring such an interesting perspective because, you know, of, of like their, their, they'll hear women can't raise money. And he's like, my mom's raised a ton of money. I don't know. She like, she she just doesn't let it stop her kind of thing. But again, like, I think that, that they're living in a world where they will show up to go and work at a female founded company, right? Like they don't sit here and and like even bat an eye about it. And they don't, it's not a strange thing to them. Yeah. But I, but I think that that really speaks to, personally, I think we need to keep men in the conversation. My husband, you know, works at Hint as well. He's our chief Mm -hmm. operating officer and he's, um, you know, very qualified. Um, You know, he's an intellectual property attorney in Silicon Valley before joining me. And, you know, he's Mm -hmm. been with us for 15 years and we're, you know, 25, almost 
25 and a half years married. Like, you know, I, I feel like there's, um, there's definitely there we're creating the change versus actually, um, and you know, that, that Waiting is for it to happen. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that, you know, eliminating people and shaming people, um, you know, from, from like doing it wrong is not correct. I, I think that the media should actually really highlight, um, the ones that are doing it right. Because yeah. then I think people will really start to see like, you know, they're profitable, they're, you know, yeah. they're, they're growing, they've got a lot of happy employees, like, you know, mm -hmm. all of these things versus actually, um, I just, I, I think that the shaming is, is not helpful. Instead, it just forces people to kind of hide and be angry, right? Like, it, you yeah. know, versus actually kind of, or, you know, or doing things like, you know, hiring a bunch of women for lower level positions, right? Like mm -hmm. that versus to like, change the optics, yeah, on, to change on the optics of it. Yeah. I think that goes on yeah. a lot. And, yeah. um, and so I, I feel like, but I, I think that that really stems out of, you know, shaming more than anything else. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's an important reason for us and, and you having conversations with all kinds of people about this so we can, kind of spread the word and and have it be not such a strange thing and really talk about the the inner workings of this and you reveal a lot of that in the book so just one last question before we get to the rapid round and that is are there ways that you consciously cultivate your leadership or is it something that's kind of or evolved organically for you uh you know i think i I'm a sponge, like when it comes to kind of reading about different leaders, I really, I love stories. Um, and in some bizarre way, I, I feel like, um, you know, I know so many of these people, I often meet them later on and I sort of know everything that they've done because I've, I've read and not, you know, not like the day before either. Like I, I've just right. dined, like I just, um, and, and I think that that's pretty true for sort of leaders that I really admire. They're just huge readers, right? Like they just mm -hmm. want lots and lots of, of info. Um, but so I kind of pick and pull different, you know, leadership stuff, like along the way, just from what I read or listen to podcasts and um, as well. But I, I just also feel like you know, lots of people have said to me, you're, you're just so authentic. You're, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you've, your authentic leadership, what, whatever. And, and I, I just, I think more and more, um, you know, that may be actually the core of the problem that I think people don't believe that they can actually, you know, show up and be their self and, and they feel like they have to, you know, be the company person. Right. And right. that's not Adopt what society is like, actually, um, to at least what I read from society is that people actually want to be heard and they want to, you know, they want to show up and they don't mm -hmm. want to pretend that they're something that they're not. And, and right. so why aren't we like pushing on that topic for our leaders too? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes great we might not see like what we want, but I think ultimately, especially for, you know, Gen Z's now I've, got a few of those at home and I watch like they know everything about these people that are running these companies and, and mm -hmm. what they do and like yeah. and it's not just about like 
you know, one element, it's about, you know, lots of different aspects. And one of the things that I do is, you know, I'm on a lot of social media, like I'm not really on TikTok, but I'm on, my kids would be horrified. I think if I was dancing or whatever, (laughs) although that could work, I'm just not a great dancer. Um, But, but, um, but I think that that, that, that is, you know, where I think that that's an easy place to kind of, you know, let people know, um, really who you are. And, and I've, I've had many conversations with Twitter executives about this too, that it's just, you know, gosh, like, how do you, how do you do it? How do you have these conversations? And, and, you know, we want, we want to share this with like other leaders. And, and I think it's really just, it's really purposeful, right? Like it's really, it's really people making decisions to actually show up and show that they're Mm -hmm. real people and they're not bots and they're, you know, and, and I think that that will be, I think that's going to be, you know, what 2021 is all about that. I think it's, it's really for, for everybody, hopefully. Yeah. I love that vision. Well, um, I'm just going to, um, wrap up with the rapid rounds. These just meant to be really quick answers to three questions about impact. So the first one is, um, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Uh, That things that you care about um, may actually be what others care about too, but haven't figured out the words um, to articulate. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Well, second question, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I've tried. Mm. Try every day. So good. And the last question, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd give to another entrepreneur who's saying, I want to have impact. I want to contribute more and, and uh, make a do good with my business. What would you say to them? I think by having impact, you can, um, you, you really, it feels great. Right. And even if it didn't work (laughs) out the way that you had planned, I think waking up and knowing that you're, actually doing something that is really helping other people um, is, is just, it's just an amazing feeling. You get a, you know, endorphin, um, you know, boost (laughs) just from, just from being able to do that. And again, it's not about succeeding. It's about trying and it's about, and because like, even if you get down, you know, halfway through and then, you know, it dies. What do you learn right along the way? And um, that that is the most important piece of it. Mm. Kara, thank you so much for being here today, sharing what your experiences have been and uh, the leader, the leadership that and the leader that you are with us, the authentic leader. And uh, I know this is going to be enormously helpful to people thinking about being an entrepreneur, people being an entrepreneur, and uh, the same for your book. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? So on social, at on all channels at Kara Golden um, with an I. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's the best way. Great. Well, thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. 
If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.